Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the French Catholic Cafe. And I'll tell you what, Robert Hutton, my uh, guest co-host, I guess, temporary co-host, our French co-host. French co-host. Right. Yeah, do you speak any French at all, Robert? Not a word. Very good, but you Latte. Know, you know. Café au lait. I've learned that one. <laughs> any kind of variety of coffee is yours to be had here one in One thing, Lourdes. Deacon Jeff, a lot of food associated with France. I mean, we, we have a lot of prayer here we do in Lourdes, too, but there's also food is in the plenty. If you ever get a chance to come to the French Catholic Cafe, this is where it's all happening. Right That's right. Here. Spiritual food. And speaking of it all happening, we have a great guest here with us today. You know, and what's neat, Robert, about coming on these pilgrimages is we get to meet so many different kinds of people from all over the place. That's right. Making pilgrimage to Lourdes. Everyone's got a story. Everyone's just got something going on. And we met this one fellow here who we asked to join us, and this is Leo McCormick. And Leo is from Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, Leo, welcome to the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Are you, are you enjoying your time here in Lourdes? I am. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, we're glad to have you. And one of the things that struck us, Leo, about your story when you were just talking, we were just having breakfast one morning, and you were just telling us all this stuff going on in your life. And, and I was struck by the fact that well, here's an ordinary guy, and he is just like living his faith. Well, you know, we hear the expression all the time, to live your faith. And a lot of times people don't really understand that what that means. As a Catholic, you know, growing up, a lot of times people think, well, that just means that you check off the little boxes. Did you get your baptism? Did you get your first communion? Did you get your confirmation? But not always do we understand what it truly means to be a Catholic. And, you, you know, you're the, the epitome of a guy that I think just is living his faith. And I think that's a, a beautiful thing. Well, I hope I do. Let's start. I just want to ask you a couple of questions to sort of get a, a background here. Were you born and raised Catholic? I am a cradle Catholic, as they say. I was born and raised into a Catholic family. My dad was a convert. My, my mom was the one who was actually raised Catholic. Uh, somewhat catechized while I was growing up, but right. NCCD, not really paying attention a lot. Went to church every Sunday, but that was the extent of our involvement. We didn't really get involved in any of the uh, extra ministries or anything. If you uh, changed your name to Deacon Jeff, it would be my story, too. I mean, that's exactly right. That's one of the things that resonated with me. So you went through, you know, into, into high school and, and college, still kind of a semi-Catholic or? Well, high school. Right. I, I graduated high school. In fact, I, I joke with my friends, especially my daughter who just received her confirmation. Right. What I remember of my confirmation is being confirmed and the bishop at that moment asking me who my confirmation saint was, and I hadn't chosen Oh, so I picked my middle name George, not knowing that I was named after a great saint, Pope Saint Leo the Great. That's okay. I, you still have that name, though. Exactly. And then Saint Leo is probably still hanging around you. Oh, no doubt. Now, when you went on though in life, were you still just kind of an average Catholic? Did you know anything about your faith at all? Uh, no, not really. I, I joined the Navy right after high school. Um, stayed back for a year as a promise to my mom. Right. And then went into the Navy. Kind of lost. Knowing what I believed all these years, but not really understanding it, so I'd fallen away. Did you have much of a spiritual experience in the Navy? I did. In fact, about a year after I got there, I, I fell away for about three years. Right. And got into all kinds of occult nonsense. Okay. Um, but you were, but you were obviously you were searching for something. I you was. felt an emptiness, perhaps. I didn't understand my faith, so I went back to what natural I thought was, right. which was occult type things. Not finding any truth there, obviously, because there really isn't any. Right. Um, until a moment I was in the car with my dad on home on leave, 
I don't even remember what we were discussing, but it, it kind of struck me, and it's something that I had been kind of turning over in my head, in my spiritual direction, that Christ was the only person in any of these faiths who, as God, came down to be with us, to teach us who we should be and sacrifice himself for our sins. And that's vastly different than so many other world religions, right? Where the God is, has that proximity, that closeness to us. Oh, absolutely. There, there is no comparison whatsoever. Well, how did you experience this sort of, I don't know, rebirth in your faith? When I went back home, I was already practicing-ish. I'd go to church, right. sort of, but I got more involved, went back to confession after it had been several years, and made a cursio when I was in Hawaii. Right. And just really revived my faith and got into understanding my faith. I, I challenged myself when I came back to what I would understand. I said, well, I was grown and as a Catholic, so I'll, I will challenge God at, in Catholicism, what I know, and search for truth. And if I don't find it in the Catholic faith, I'll go wherever he seeks. And a Curcio, right. is that like a, a retreat? And- it is. Curcio was a powerful, powerful uh, moment in my life it's it's one of those mountaintop experiences it's a three-day retreat uh it means little catholic uh a course course, a, a a catholic catholic course. course yeah. right and so here you are being having this rebirth right. you were telling me at, at one point you were riding along your with your dad in a car yes and i don't know what it was about that moment that god chose my dad was a nominal catholic he came into the faith because my wife my mom was a catholic and to help raise us but he didn't really get involved so there wasn't really a spiritual connection there with my dad. He wasn't really a spiritual right. guide for me. Maybe it was a father-son connection to a father, heavenly father and son connection is what I can think. But from that moment, it brought me forward in my faith. It was a turning point I recognized. Amen. So now you, somewhere in there, uh, you found a beautiful girl to marry. That was a few years later. Okay. Yes. And how did, you, how did you end up meeting your bride to be well i was i stayed in the navy right contrary to what i planned staying only four years um and then i was stationed in singapore uh several years later and everybody had challenged me to find my wife and they knew i was going to find my wife there and nobody won the bet i met her within a month <laughs> oh wow in singapore uh, are there a lot of catholics in singapore or? there are actually uh, okay but my wife was not catholic oh really no okay. uh when we met she had just gotten a job with the state department and as the job that she had, which was a housing job, she had to know everybody or meet everybody because all of the housing complaints went through her, and she had to try right. and figure those out. And as soon as she got hired, her boss sat down with a list of eligible bachelors to see how she could be fixed up. And oh. I was on the list, of course. <laughs> so we, I didn't know that was a service of uh, the military. Oh, no, it's a service of the State Department, <laughs> oh, apparently. State Department. <laughs> I see how that works. Okay, so the government's always helping us out in many Absolutely. ways. Well, in this in this case, the government helped you out of evil in a big oh, way. Oh, most definitely. Now, I'll tell you what, though. You're, you're all fired up in your faith, and you understand and, and realize just what an important part that Jesus Christ actually plays in your life and has yes. played and what he did for you. And, and you have a totally new understanding, right, of your Catholic faith at this point. Yes. But you feel drawn to this woman. Now, this woman's not Catholic, though. Well, she was a Muslim. And yes. so this is a very interesting I don't know, I don't want to call it a dilemma, but did you see it as a challenge at that point? I did. I did. And, and I'd gotten into a little apologetics and talking with other faiths, not really Islam as much, though I'd been deployed in the Southeast Asia area right. and had interacted with some folks. There was something that just drew, drew her to me, and I, I had kind of in the back of the mind that, my mind that she could be the one, but obviously there was this right. faith problem. So as we progressed through our, our dating, she came up to me about a year later and said, I'd like to be Catholic. Wow. 
And now you, but you didn't push that though. No. I mean, no, you, we'd, you, we'd you had discussions, but well, what drew what drew her to the Catholic faith, Leo? What, what did she see in the Catholic faith? I told her if if it was me that was doing this, if she was doing it to to be with me. I said that's the wrong answer. She says no. Right. You're, you're the last couple of percentages towards that decision. Uh, she had actually gone back on a training event with her company in, in Denver, and gone was invited to a mass, and they had a baptism in the mass, and that was it. Just struck her. At that moment, it was a, a conversion point that, that, that the baptism into the Catholic faith was such a beautiful thing, that there was a process. And then the Eucharist was such a, a powerful thing that God humbles himself so much to be with us, even so much in bread and wine. You know, what's so beautiful is we have this teaching of the sacraments, right? We, we realize that grace comes to us through the sacraments, but these sacraments have these outward signs, right? Absolutely. And, and the outward signs are meant to be to be attractive, to be noticed, to be, uh, you know, they're part of ritual. And so this draws a lot of people when they see this ritual in the Catholic faith. They're like, well, wait a second. In my church, we don't have these beautiful statues, beautiful windows, this golden tabernacle. We don't have these fancy these vestments. Things. Exactly right. And mm-hmm. yet, and, and yet, you know, behind all of these things, there's, there's grace, right? Exactly. Grace abounds here. And so that's really, so she was touched by first that sort of attraction. Mm-hmm. And you made a comment to me uh, before where you were talking about how this was really kind of like, it was kind of like love. Yes. I mean, you, you have the, the, the attraction between a man and a woman, right? You, you're, you're drawn, but then you go to a deeper relationship as you, Correct. as you get to know that person. So it's kind of like the love of the faith. So she experienced that. Yes, she did. And so then you had a, a wonderful, beautiful marriage. We did a very thorough marriage preparation. Okay, very good. Which is something that Singapore does. It was a 10-week marriage preparation. I hope everyone's listening. Yeah. 10 weeks. In, awesome. In-house, too. We were invited over to somebody's house along with five or six other couples. Wow. Once a week, then we would be sent home with homework, and we'd do the homework, whether it was imagine your, your spouse-to-be is away and write him a letter. Or discuss finances, discuss right. kids. We went through the whole plethora of Is this through the church aspects. in Singapore? Yes. They required that? Which, yes. That's pretty good because it shows people how serious marriage is and to try to address on the front end the problems that can come up. And, and there will be problems and tensions, right? And she exactly. was a new Catholic, too, at the time, right? Well, she was becoming a new Catholic. Becoming a new Catholic. Yes. Okay. And it, it was pretty amazing because the, the couple that hosted us shared with us that there's several times that they'd done this that couples had, during the process realize that they shouldn't be together it's a it's really a discernment as well isn't it it's an opportunity for you to recognize that maybe god isn't calling you to to be together exactly but he did call you guys to be together yes we we that actually grew us as a couple because we we had already clicked and there were a lot of commonalities and we just meshed very well and that and at the very end of course was a natural family planning class that we had to go through and then we culminated graduated and we were married in guam and then I was transferred to San Diego. Well, and so then you uh, somehow, magically, seven kids. <laughs> All right. You've got seven beautiful children. Yes, I do. Um, and th- we're going to talk about that in a second because there's, there's just the element. A lot of people think, wow, you know, you start hearing all the funny comments. Don't you know what causes that and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. I want to hear what your, what your thoughts are about having such a big family. Before we do that, uh, I do want to remind everyone at home we have a great website. It's www.thecatholiccafe.com. And I would love for you to send me an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And now with that, we'll be right back. Bester Zemski, and this is another great moment in church history. 
How can someone so small and weak in the eyes of the world have such a tremendous impact on the spiritual lives of millions around the globe? St. Therese of Lisieux, better known as the Little Flower, was this small person. Born in France over a century ago, she has changed the spiritual landscape of the entire world. St. Therese believed that little things done with great love were more pleasing to God than the mightiest deeds. She wrote, Love proves itself by deeds, so how am I to show my love? Great deeds are forbidden me. The only way I can prove my love is by scattering little flowers. And these flowers are every little sacrifice, every glance and word, and the doing of the least action for love. The little flower grew up as the youngest of five living children. She was a sensitive child who felt things deeply. These deep feelings and her thoughtful attitude led her to a strong prayer life at a very young age. By her own account, she would find a quiet place and spend hours contemplating the love of the Heavenly Father. As Therese entered her teen years, her older sisters began to go into religious life. This led the little flower to seek entrance to the Carmelite Monastery at the tender age of 14. She was initially refused by the superiors of the order, but her persistence paid off by taking her appeal all the way to the Pope in Rome. The superiors of the order were impressed by her persistence and maturity and allowed her to enter the Carmelite order at the age of 15. The next nine years were spent in quiet contemplation and service inside the tiny convent in Lisieux. Toward the end of her time in the convent, she began to suffer from the effects of tuberculosis. Tuberculosis, a deadly infectious disease that attacks the lungs, leaves the sufferer with a chronic cough, fever, night sweats, and weight loss. St. Therese suffered seriously from this disease. She was reported to have said, I have reached the point of not being able to suffer anymore because all suffering is sweet to me. She accepted her affliction as a gift from God and saw it as a sign of his friendship with her. Little everyday things done in great love can lead us to a life of grace and deeper union with Christ. The little flower can show us the way. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth, and we're still sitting here in the beautiful uh, French Catholic Cafe, and we're joined with Leo McCormick from Alexandria, Virginia. And Leo, you seem like an ordinary guy to me, and that's what I really liked about talking to you. So we were just at the point where we were finding out about your kids having, mm-hmm. having children. Now, when I married my wife, I don't know that I discussed children at the front. Did you guys talk about kids? And We did. We, we they did the marriage prep, Deacon. Remember? Yes. Well, I did marriage prep too, but we were like, we did the uh, we did the version. It's like the drive-through. You, oh. you got a burger and fries, and you got marriage prep. Well, they did the ten-week uh, course, right? Oh, I know we you were very thorough. So, did you know that you wanted to be totally open to God's decision it, on on how many kids He would want you to have? Or? We did, but it was a continuous conversation each time. Uh, and actually, the first child that arrived right after I got to San Diego, and I was being stationed on a ship. We were using natural family planning, but in, with the move and everything, right? surprise baby comes along. Uh-huh. Pleasant, Pleasant surprise. surprise. Absolutely. Obviously. A blessing. And this continued to be a blessing. So my wife was pregnant by herself in San Diego. 
for four and a half months while I was gone. Oh, I bet she loved that. Oh, it was a thrill. Yeah, I know. But she's a good, she's a good woman, though. She's right? an amazing woman, and that's awesome. And so, so that was, the first one came along, and then. Then one after another, we started having kids. At, was there a, a point when you may have listened to the world who were saying, uh, not too many, or, or you guys were pretty much? We had discussed that off and on as to how many we were going to have and when we were going to stop. And we would have this discussion after they were, our, our then child was about a year and a half. Right. And we'd get the urgings for another child. So the middle children, the second through the sixth, were all planned. Right. It was the last well, one that still known. wasn't planned. You knew Although, that you were exactly. open we were, at we that point. We were trying to. And, right. and, and, that's, and that's, that's good. And I know you, you say we were deciding when to stop. And I know, but really, you were really just being open to God's right. will. Right. And we continue with natural family planning. We never introduced anything contrary to Catholic faith or our own beliefs to say, okay, we're going to stop and we're going right. to go contrary now to make sure that, you know. And so many people have it. They, they fall into that trap. Yes. Unfortunately, and, but you never you never felt the urging to to do that. You yeah. you felt comfortable and confident that God would direct you in the way that you need to be directed and support you and help you and your family. Yes, and you know, Deacon, I've never known anyone that has a large family not to see every kid as a blessing. I mean, every, how can you not have like if you've got four or five or six kids? I've never seen a large family that said, "Gosh, I wish I didn't have so many kids." I mean, they all bring Absolutely. extra joy to the family. Can't imagine life without them. Well, yeah. and that's the thing when someone says you shouldn't have had so many. I want to line them up and say, well, you, you choose which one I should which get rid of. Precisely. I can't imagine not having one of them. Well, they're very individual. Yeah. And raising kids, you have to look at them kind of individual. Although for discipline and everything else, we have kind of a, a process. You know, at about an 18-month mark, they learn no, and they can understand that. And so we start putting them in timeout. We're probably pretty strict parents. We're right. probably more strict than most. But our children accept that. We right. have to put the boundaries up there for them to understand that. And they'll continue to test them, and they do. But they have to know. That's that what they do. That's their job. Exactly. But they have to know that when we say no, we mean no. It's about respect, isn't it? And respect is the one thing they'll get in trouble for before anything else. You know, Leo, I've had the privilege of meeting one of your children because we're here in Lourdes. Mm-hmm. And um, you might want to share with uh, um, the people out there, uh, why are you here in Lourdes? And, and do you have a little story about you know, how to, as a parent, and has any suffering come up in your life, and how have you dealt with that? We've had some suffering, yes. My uh, my fourth child, my first son, Gregory, uh, was diagnosed with Duchenne muscular dystrophy last year um, at seven years old, just shy of seven years old. Um, and he was, he had always been a little bit different. As we've mentioned, they're unique. So we had three daughters before that. Our first son, we didn't know exactly what to expect Every child's a little bit different. He's a little bit slower, not necessarily as, as strong. He had struggles going up the stairs. Mm-hmm. We'd notice these things, but we never really tied them together until we actually went and said, okay, help us understand what's wrong, if there's something wrong. Right. And so he was diagnosed, and shortly after he was diagnosed, my wife was pres- pregnant with our last child, mm. our second surprise baby and latest child, our seventh child, and that was hard to accept. How did this? How did your faith come into play in this? You've just had a son, and the son was diagnosed with a, a disease. It's you know, it's a tough disease to any parent doesn't want to see their child suffer from anything. No, um, and, and this was, and we didn't really know much about muscular dystrophy. My wife is from Singapore, as I mentioned, so she doesn't understand the Jerry Lewis tel- telethon and everything mm-hmm. that I grew up with. Although I still didn't quite understand much of it. Um, Duchenne is one of those odd diseases it only strikes boys it's the most common muscular dystrophy uh, disease and it shortens life to about 25 30 years 
my my son is eight years old now. He's still mm-hmm. ambulatory, but that's probably short lived. Maybe about ten, thirteen years old, he'll be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. So these things were hard to accept. How did you deal with that? Did you? How did your faith come into play? Well, and how are you dealing with that? How it's are not, you dealing with it? Yeah. Well, it it was something that we had to had to give back to God and just accept. Um, one thing that we do with the kids, we're, like I said, we're very restricted. We listen to a lot of Christian music, contemporary Christian music. Um, and some of the songs talk about that, talk about God will only give you what you're strong enough for, and he'll give you the strength. Um, and this one song called Strong Enough just says just that. He based it on this, this other story of this lady that had gotten in an accident and had 30 surgeries. And she says, well, God must think I'm pretty strong, right. more strong than I think I am. Um, we kind of let that kind of lead our focus, and we had uh, struggled with this prayerfully. We didn't really actually say why. We understood, you know, God gives us these things, and that's just the way it is. But accepting the fact that our son won't be leaving the house and conducting his own life, he's going to probably be with us his entire life, that's been been kind of hard. So we've been taking it back to prayer. Um, one of the first things we did is we went to church, went to separate confessionals, one with our pastor, Father Mullins at that time, and one with our associate pastor, um, and talked to him said, you know, we're struggling with this. And the first thing Father Mullins says is, okay, we knew he was a chaplain of the Order of Malta, but we didn't have much understanding what that meant. Right. So he said, remind me at the end of the year, and we'll put you in petition to be sponsored. What, so, to, sponsored to come to Lourdes? To come to Lourdes. It hadn't even dawned on us as a possibility. Um, so he had actually gotten pulled from our uh, from our church, from our parish, to go to another parish by that time, and we'd contacted him, and everything came together. And what do you see about Lourdes? Now that we're here in Lourdes and seeing the baths, what, what do you see in Lourdes? What do you see the Blessed Mothers doing here? I, I've heard a lot of stories, and, and Greg and I have actually gone to the baths, which is an amazing experience. Uh, there's Greg, a lot Greg of, is your son. Yeah, I guess Greg, we, yes, yeah. Greg is my son. Um, there's a lot of expectations that people have when they come here. Um, they have to be tempered, understanding that miracles do happen, but it's only God's time. We can't come here and expect that everything's going to be fixed back to the way we want. And a friend of mine made a point to me before I left uh, that he'd come in a conversation to another friend that you got to be careful what you pray for, what you wish for, because you might actually get it and it won't be what you want. Right. So you, you should pray for what you think, what you've discovered you need and you want. Pray for God's grace to give you what he thinks you need. Right. And that's what I see Lord's is actually giving. Gives us the peace to accept what, we, what we've been given. Gives us that strength. But it also gives us the acceptance of others as well. Because we see people all the time with disabilities, with everything else. Innately, we will, we will judge them one way or another. Right. And I see that on people's faces with my son. <clears throat> So sometimes you you don't necessarily understand how they how they think about that what they're thinking. I didn't understand it. Right. So I think part of the grace that Lords brings is that acceptance that you have somebody with us that's a little bit different. People aren't going to see us just like yeah. with seven nine kids. They look at us a little bit different. I've accepted that. Can you imagine what it'd be like to experience what you're experiencing? Right with with Greg, who's a, a great kid. He's amazing. Beautiful little kid. What a blessing. Can you imagine dealing with this without your faith, right? Without an understanding, because so many faiths, 
will view uh, sickness and suffering and things either as punishments or that the fact that there maybe is no God, right? You just have that sort of distance and just to know that to be able to to be close to God, right, in the Eucharist, but also uh, through the intercession of, of his Blessed Mother, but just to mm-hmm. be close to his cross. I think it changes the way you look at the world. It really does. And that's one thing that's unique and beautiful about the Catholic faith. They understand the suffering part of it. That's why... Talking with some Protestant friends, they asked me, why do you still have Christ on the cross? Well, Christ was on the cross. We need to remember that he suffered and died before he rose for a reason, to show us that he's always there no matter what we're going through, yeah. you whether always, good or bad. You want to be reminded of that. I mean, if you think about it, the fact that he emptied the cross, right, the fact that he rose again, and I don't want to make this sound flippant, but it's a no-brainer. He's God. Right. We know that God's going to conquer death, but what we need to be reminded of we need that Hallmark card that tells us that he loves us so much that his son died for us. Absolutely. So that visual reminder is exactly why we Catholics have a, a crucifix versus an empty cross. Exactly. Ultimate love is sacrificial. It's a total a giving of oneself. There's a part of you that's being sacrificed here, right? That you're right. pouring your heart and soul into this as well. So there's sort of a mutual. It's not just about Greg's personal experience. It's about your experience with Greg, your wife's experience, Jesus' experience with all of us, and even we're all one body of Christ, all of our experiences. And you sense that in the Catholic experience, don't you? Most definitely. And something when we're talking with our kids, especially when we discipline them, we always try and bring it back to a Catholic purpose, to God is working with us temporarily here under our guidance, but you're ultimately God's. So yes, you need to obey us. You need to follow these rules. Because you need to ultimately understand that God has made the rules. Yeah. So we take it back that way with, with Greg, too, Then sacrifice. We all have sacrifices that we have to make, and we have burdens that we're given for a reason. What that reason right. is, we may never know in this life, but there's a reason for it. <clears throat> and understanding that that reason is up to God to do with, whether he heals Greg, whether he gives us just peace in our hearts, mm-hmm. gives us understanding or not, that's his will that we need to follow. That's, that's a hard acceptance, I'm fine. Well, Leo, we really thank you, and uh, we appreciate the fact that you would take the time to, uh, to s- just share your story of uh, the average guy and all the trials that, uh, that, that you know, an average person might face. They'll all be different for everybody else. Uh, they won't be the same, but the fact that you've, uh, you've, you've held tight to your faith, uh, it's a beautiful story, and uh, we really appreciate you sharing that with us. Thank you for having me. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer, and since we're here in Lourdes, we're going to ask Our Lady's intercession. Sure, that sounds like a great idea. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table. <laughs>